Welcome back to the Alts Podcast. I'm your host, Horatio Ruiz. We bring you industry leaders and creators to give their insights on the rapidly changing and exciting world of alternative assets. Opinions expressed on this podcast by the host and podcast guests are for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Podcast hosts and guests may maintain positions in the offerings discussed in this podcast. Our guest today is Artem Milinchuk, founder and CEO of Farm Together. Farm Together is an investment platform for farmland that is made available to accredited investors in the form of fractional ownership or, in some cases, entire plots of land. Artem and I talk about the benefits of farmland investing, the challenges that climate change presents, and the farmers at the heart of the industry. Artem also talks about some misconceptions about farming and the future he sees playing out in this alternative space. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Artem. Okay, so on today's uh, Alts podcast, uh, we're excited to have and to be able to speak to Mr. Artem Milinchuk. He's the, the founder and CEO of Farm Together. Artem, thank you for being here today. Thank you, Horatio. Excited to be here. You know, Artem, farmland is such an interesting asset. It's very complex, as I've come to kind of realize as I'm preparing to interview you. And I'm, I'm kind of interested in, in, in your journey a little bit and why, why farmland. You, you created this, this investment platform. And, you know, farmland, I, I don't think is obvious to anyone, but the more I research it, the more I see it, the benefits. Could you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I started Farm Together in 2018, but the idea of Farm Together really came to me back in 2015-16. And so the, you know, the genesis of the story is that uh, at the time I was working for a Canadian pension fund. And before that, for 10 years, I was in finance with uh, a lot of touch points around food and agriculture. So I knew the space very well, but kind of at a surface level, being a bit of a jack of all trades. And in 2015-16, you know, the alternatives was just emerging. Um, they kind of been around for a while, of course, but mostly for kind of the big institutional investors. And so what you see right now, this explosion, this, you know, almost like a Cambrian explosion of alternative investments, is very, very recent. And back in 15-16, as I was looking at farmland, it just boggled my mind that you had such a huge asset class, huge industry, almost 10 trillion globally, three plus trillion if looking at North America, so vital to what our very civilization is. So attractive on a lot of uh, important metrics such as risk return, uncorrelated nature performance in times of recessions and inflation. And yet there was very little that individuals or institutions could do to invest in this asset class. There was no infrastructure, no uh, intermediaries, you know, no platforms for people to invest in farmland. And just blew my mind, still keeps blowing my mind to this day that such an important industry has so few ways for people to invest in it. And that's why I started Farm Together. It was a honestly a way to just solve my own problem and to solve the problems of peers in the space. You know, when we talk about farmland, and, and, and you've said it really well, but we kind of understate the value. We've read about how farmland is, you know, decreasing, you know, the United States though globally, more and more farmland is lost. And, and, and in some ways, some people have said, hey, maybe this is actually a good thing, you know, from what I've read. But at the end of the day, you kind of wonder, is that a good thing to lose, you know, farmland and to be losing food? What is the current state of farmland is, is what I'm getting at. And how much more or how important is it today, um, as it has been historically, when, you know, people, you know, depended on a farm to eat? 
Yeah, so the state of farmland today, it's a great question. And I'll talk about U.S. So farming in the United States is actually, almost all of it is done by families. There's this big misconception that some sort of large corporations are building their own farmland. That couldn't be further away from the truth. Almost all land in the U.S. is owned by families, and most farms are small to medium size. 70% of land in the U.S. is actually in farms less than $10 million, according to our estimates. So you have this industry that is, um, on the one hand, is highly fragmented, and on the other hand, is also um, you have an issue where average age of a farm is approaching 60, and a lot of them are retiring, and kids don't want to become farmers. And so you have consolidation happening in the industry where farmers that do stay, they more and more run it as kind of this really sophisticated business versus kind of the more, call it, subsistence hobby or kind of side farming that happens historically. And most of land in the U.S., by the way, is farmland, just by acreage. <laughs> and so you have this you have huge changes happening the way we farm and the way farmland is owned. At the same time, when you look at sort of the demands that our planet has for farming and for farmers, it's demand for food that is important, continues to be affordable, but also healthy. It's how, how do we farm and how does it affect the environment? The climate change goals we have you know, quite aggressive and we're way behind. And farming is one of the few industries that actually can play not only, you know, defense by decreasing the carbon emitted by offense, meaning recapturing carbon into the soil called region agriculture. Uh, right now, you also have, you know, the challenges of how do you transition to more plant-based proteins? That's a big demand from consumers. So, you know, there's so much happening in ag and farmland. And one thing that is really missing is scalable capital to farmers, creative scalable, cheap capital that allows them to meet these challenges of the future. There's very little that exists in farmland versus, let's say, real estate or stocks uh, and sort of a lot of other industries. Like those financial instruments just don't exist. That's the part of the equation we're in in this global story of agriculture, revolution, transition to sustainable agriculture. Yeah, it's a great question. We can talk about it for hours, but I think I hit on all the main key points that exist in farmland and ag today in the U.S. So I, I kind of want to use that as a jumping point in, in a minute, but you're saying that the, you know, from what I've picked up, farmers are aging, the industry is getting a little bit more sophisticated, and it has a role to play in, in terms of climate change, in terms of sustainability. But you're saying now that there's a lack of access to capital for farmers. And I'm wondering where Farm Together comes into that. Is that a role that you're seeking to play? Or is it something that you're kind of looking to develop as you're also fractionalizing farmland? For sure. So it's actually what we're doing right now already. The way Farm Together works, just as a broad overview, on the one hand, either farmers or landowners will come to us and they will be looking for some sort of land-based financing solution. Uh, oftentimes it is sale of land, but in a way that allows them to either retain a marketing contract with the farm, to be able to buy it back, to... Um, you know, for us, when they see a farm for sale, like that the neighbors have to be able to, for us to buy them, for them to rent it from us. So it's, um, it's a lot of this kind of flexible capital that we provide to farmers. Now on the investor side, yes, the way it works and the way we get capital that and we buy a farm, we will fractionalize it. And you can invest in one farm or several farms using our platform, our portal, farmtogether.com, uh, and put in as little as $15,000 to invest in that farm. But having said that, you know, the sort of this crowdfunding fractionalized way to syndicate capital is just one of many 
channels that we have to bring capital to farmers. It's just that one happens to be one of the sort of you know more interesting and attractive ones to farmers, to us, to investors. But we also have a more traditional farming fund that soon will be going up the platform where you can buy you know into diversified portfolio. Straight away we have products for institutions. Uh, we're working on the product for small retail investors. So it's really if you think about it, the two problems we're solving on the pharma side is hey we're looking for something that is more creative capital that doesn't right now exist in the market. And the investor side, we say, hey, here's access to farmland as an asset class, packaged and designed in a variety of different ways, fitting different investors' needs. Yeah, and there's so many ways that it can go, and I'm seeing that as, a, as I'm studying it, because I, I was wondering what the model was when you have the offerings on your platform. You know, you have different regions, you have different crops, but then I'm wondering, like, if you buy land and you buy it bare, a lot of these crops, it takes a lot of these trees, you know, five, six, seven years to even begin to provide a yield, right? Like, uh, like almonds, right? Take somewhere between six and 12 years, I read. And walnuts, five to seven years or something like that. So it's not like you're buying the land completely empty because then it would take you years to even begin to return a profit uh, off of the crop. Where does Farm Together uh, come in in terms of the acquisition? Are you acquiring basically virgin land and then developing it to, to plant crops? Or are you acquiring farms that are already ready uh, producing, you know, crops. We do both. We do everything along that spectrum. Okay. And then when you do acquire some land, you then come in with your resources. And I, I know you have a, a philosophy. You come in and you bring in your own kind of um, uh, farm managers and then your technology. Is that right? We do bring up farm managers. Oftentimes, it's actually the farmers who are bringing us the opportunity will stay on as farmers. And they typically, you know, these are not your necessarily kind of the the Sunday farmers market farmers. This is a family business. Oftentimes it's been a business for generations where they are incredibly sophisticated and know much better how to farm the land that they're bringing to us or the land that we bring to them to operate. So our involvement is more so on the reporting side, uh, side on the oversight, on compliance with the sustainability standard called leading harvest under which all our farms are right now and updates to investors. So it's much more kind of, again, this sort of oversight type role that we play. But of course, we have some amazing people on the farm management team. For example, Boyd Corkins recently joined us from Hancock, which is one of the oldest and largest institutional farmland funds in funds in US. We have decades of experience also working for a company like Wonderful Pistachios, where he will bring his, of course, expertise to the farmers and provide insights that we keep gathering and we're getting smarter and smarter on other farms. So, you know, you mentioned almonds. We have quite a few almond orchards right now. So we're starting to learn, like, what are the things that work best? What are some things we can do to maybe consolidate purchasing or other type of servicing for our farms? Uh, what are the insights we're learning from, you know, uh, operation on this farm, how it applies to other farms? So as we grow, uh, I think there also will be that operational alpha uh, that we'll be bringing to our investors and to the farmers. Let's talk a little bit about what you mentioned before in terms of the role that farmland has to play, because we're, we kind of want to get into these heavy topics. So one thing would be climate change. And um, I kind of want to approach it from two ways. One is, how do you manage farmland that's in, you know, like California, right, where there's been drought-like conditions for years and years and years? And what role does farm together have? And, and, and kind of how are you able to sustain farmland on a consistent basis like that? And then secondly is, you know, what, what is the role that future you know, farmland techniques have in, in improving 
you know, in, in maybe like solving the water crisis if, if there is something like that? Yeah, absolutely. So climate, of course, is absolutely paramount in pharma investing. And we look at uh, climate resilience of all our deals. So California is a great example. So while California always seems to be in the news for things like droughts, what's important to remember is that California goes through droughts as has been going for centuries. And yes, they're going to likely get more severe because of climate change. But having said that, you know, there's still availability of water and uh, California has been implementing what's called a, a SIGMA regulation, Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, that will uh, lead the state hopefully to a more sustainable situation with water. So indeed, we underwrite heavily for water, for climate, as it relates to things like chill hours, for example, for almonds, where as, you know, almonds need a certain number of cold time to function properly. And as it gets warmer, sometimes they don't get that. And uh, uh, we can you know, project what we think that range of outcomes can be in different areas and then you know, stay away from areas where we think uh, that might go away longer term because farmland investing is long-term investing. Yeah, so water-wise in California, that's a whole separate topic, but we do spend a lot of time on it and uh, feel very comfortable with our underwriting. Important to know that California produces half of all fruits and vegetables in the U.S., 70% uh, plus of nuts. Uh, it's an ag powerhouse. It has a huge their agricultural ecosystem from workers to service providers uh, to infrastructure. And so it's it will continue to be just an absolute, you know, powerhouse again uh, of agriculture. And it's, I think it's important to, uh, to understand what's happening, but not to react hastily to, you know, what sometimes you see in headlines. Absolutely. And, and I know you explained, you know, you see that the future, it still has a bright future. I didn't know that about California. Is there a risk to being so heavily concentrated in, in, in a particular part of the country? And then if there is, right, is there something that can kind of be done to offset that risk? Uh, so no, I don't think there's um, you know, any particular heavy risk there. Uh, California is, is huge and you have uh, you know, a lot of different areas where you grow a lot of different types of produce. Now, we do have uh, quite a large presence in states like Oregon, Midwest, Washington, and so, of course, we diversify there as well. But California just has unique climate for things, again, like almonds that it's very hard to find anywhere else. And, you know, people wouldn't be growing almonds there for many, many years now if it was uh, that risky. It's just important with any region to understand the right risks. What are the rewards that you're expecting? Uh, but people have been eating almonds for thousands of years and you know, demand only keeps increasing. So, yeah, look, uh, we, we have on every deal what we call a risk-reward rating. It's our proprietary rating we have developed to explain in simple terms to investors how risky is the investment and is the reward corresponding to that level of risk. Um, so we, we, we definitely encourage people to diversify overall, uh, but I just really want to, I guess, say that California is a stable ag geography and has been for decades, generations. It will continue to be that. As with everything else, climate change will lead to you know certain regions being better, certain regions being worse. You know, for for agriculture, important to remember that you know as climate change happens, for example, some of areas that previously were not as suitable as again for almonds become more suitable. Um, and so you see that movement from farmers to other states where land is also cheaper. And then you know, in defense of also the California water situation, what a lot of people don't realize is that California actually has an abundance of water. <laughs> It just doesn't have uh, abundance of water in the right places. So what's missing is an irrigation system to bring water to 
to the fires because a lot of the water from the mountains it just runs off into the ocean. Uh, most of it. <laughs> That's the challenge. Wow. Didn't even think about that. Uh, is that something that might be in the works? Not just farm together, I would imagine, but I guess um, something, some sort of infrastructure um, project, right, for the state? Yeah, Harish, I believe that the latest bill, and I'm not sure I have to check what the situation with it is, but there was in the latest legislation some amount allocated exactly to water projects in California. Okay. So didn't know didn't know about that. That's that's so good. And like I said, the farmland is so multifaceted. There's a, you can go in a ton of directions. So we, we we're in a state where or we're in a in a point in time where the job market seems like it's maybe a little bit strong. It's bouncing back. Um but there's other things, right? We have high gas prices, uh we have inflation through the roof. Things are getting much more expensive. Why would farmland be a compelling investment at this time with the market as it is and with global affairs being how they are where you know it's it's a pretty it's a pretty uncertain time and where does farmland fit in for that yeah absolutely so when we look at history farmland has been one of the best performers in periods of inflation or recession it's a very safe and stable asset class when you think about recessions recessions are when you stop consuming excessively, right? Where you uh, postpone the purchase, maybe the latest TV, you don't go on that trip. But what you don't stop doing is eating. <laughs> and that's why it, sort of farmland is a very defensible asset class. And as it comes to inflation, well, farmland products are literally hundreds of them, because it's not only food, it's food fuel, feed fiber. There's so many things that you see in your everyday life that are actually grown. They're literally the components of the CPI. And so historically, farmland has done tremendously well in periods of inflation. It's also a real asset. because we think about protecting you know, our cash that is rapidly, I mean, if, you, if inflation is 7%, that means every year you're losing 7% of your, of your cash. And so you want to invest in something that is a real asset. And we've seen this in single family housing, prices going up. We've seen this in farmland last year. And um, look, it's, it's such a complicated situation right now. Like no one knows what's going to happen. But if we think, you know, the next decade is going to be a period of high inflation, of subdued growth, of subdued asset returns in the traditional stocks and bonds, then farmland, along with some other alternative investments, is probably, in my view, you know, one of the, the best investments to add to your portfolio. And, and speaking of that, kind of going back, farmland was available to invest by who? Just institutions in the past, right? It was a few institutions, but it wasn't even that. I mean, honestly, even with institutions, it was hard because when you when you look at you know what is investable, what is an asset class, it typically means a whole ecosystem infrastructure for capital to be deployed easily. If you you know you and I said, hey, let's build create a hedge fund to invest in stocks. Like tomorrow, we could deploy five billion dollars, um, just like that. Uh, in farmland, that never existed. Um, like for an institution to invest in farmland, they would have to go hire their own team and go and find land for sale, find farmers. Uh, there wasn't really a, and even today, right, there isn't really the same level of, call it institutional, um, formalized way to participate in the asset class. So it's very much you go and just like everyone else try to buy land, you have to create contracts with farmers that are not even standardized on how to manage land, how to price it how to take a loan, how to report on it. Investors don't really understand how farmland works. So it's really just the, when I say, you know, an asset class is emerging, like farmland, 
it's like everything that you take for granted in investments in stocks, just most of it doesn't exist. And so it was less about how much money you have, although that helps, of course, <laughs> but more just how much expertise you need to invest in it. And what we're doing at Fund Together is, well, A, providing that expertise because our team comes from those, you know, institutional backgrounds, but B, it's also building the technology to make that expertise scalable in an asset class that is very fragmented and very opaque. When you're saying that it's um, scalable, does that mean that you're looking to become sort of like a, a model uh, grower? I mean, more like a model. We, we want to become a large tech-enabled farmland asset manager, farmland investment platform. That's what I mean. Because right now, with most farms being in that you know, 5 to $20 million range of 1 to 20, it's really hard to deploy and even you know, bring opportunities to investors that uh, really move the needle for farmers and for, for investors. As far as the, the setup or the platform of Farm Together, Right now, it's accredited investors. There's a there's a, a minimum investment of fifteen thousand dollars. And I was just thinking, you know, and you mentioned it as well. You're working on opening it up to retail investors. To me, I feel like that would really open up the asset class. And, and, and I mean, I'm sure you have accredited investors, and you know, they have a lot, you know, a lot of money to invest. But that once you really open it up to those, you know, investors that are looking to put in maybe a couple hundred or even a, a couple, you know, thousand dollars, that maybe it changes a little bit. How far away are you from from opening up like that? Yeah, um, I don't want to say too much <laughs> and part of kind of our business sure. business secrets, but we, we're working on it. Yeah. And then can, can you talk about then um, maybe some future projects uh, and, and how you uh, go about deciding which crops to grow? That always kind of um, interested me. I noticed you have a lot of like um, uh, fruits and nuts, uh, hazelnuts, walnuts, pecans. How do you, how do you go about deciding what to grow? And how do you react to the market changing? Because I know almonds maybe a couple of years ago were big and then they kind of had a, a steep decline and it's all cyclical. But how do you react to the demand in, in the, the global food supply? Yeah, absolutely. So a few questions there. But to start, um, farmland being a long-term investment, we really don't don't think about you know, short-term fluctuations because, again, um, these are all crops that people have eating for centuries, for millennia, and that's not going to change. So we look mostly at like what are the favorable long-term trends for crops, and we have identified fruits, vegetables, and nuts as parts of the agriculture that have uh, attractive uh, tailwinds. Some other areas like milk, for example, has a lot of headwinds, a lot of substitution from the consumer, overproduction and oversupply, and so we're staying away from it for time being. Uh, so yeah, we look, we analyze supply, demand. What are the marketing efforts behind every crop? For example, you know, almonds are so popular because there's a fantastic almond board in California that just does a tremendous amount of work to market the crop uh, across the world. And then the other question was, you know, what are the new things that we're working on? Well, one of the main ones is uh, introducing a secondary liquidity market to our investors, being able to exit in and out of our deals, which are typically 10, 11 years before that. Kind of. Parting questions, Artem. Um, what does the future look like for Farm Together? And um, I wonder if there's anything else maybe that you wanted to, you know, talk about quickly about, you know, about the industry or about uh, your company specifically that we maybe didn't cover because there there really is a lot. For sure. So right now, Farm Together is just focused on bringing more and better opportunities to our platform, to our investors, to introducing new channels for more investors to participate in the asset class and introducing new financial products for farmers uh, that allows them to 
you know, meet their goals and meet the goals that the planet has as well for sustainable ag. I think we covered a lot of topics for Asia. So thank you for your time and thank you to the listeners. Uh, if you want to check out what we currently have in the latest offerings, uh, go to farmtogether.com. Um, we also have a very friendly and um, very active client team. So if you have any questions, you can always email us and I'll get back to you typically within 24 hours. Yeah, and I think that's about it. Well, that, that's great. Artem, thank you so much for, for you know being on the podcast. I'm sure that this is going to be highly beneficial and educational for our listeners. And uh, we look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you. There are a lot of takeaways from my conversation with Artem. I'm thinking about California, climate change, and the systems needed to keep acres and acres of farmland in operation. It'll be interesting to see how Farm Together develops its platform as it increases its scalability and transitions towards working with retail investors. If you enjoyed today's podcast, let others know about it. We find our guests so interesting and knowledgeable, and I know others will too. Or leave a review or hit the follow button. Until the next episode, take care.